This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. This is the Relic Radio Show, 60 minutes of radio drama, which you can find every Tuesday at RelicRadio.com. first story this week comes from I Love Adventure, and here the $100 million manhunt. Their story from May 23rd, 1948. After that, it's Suspense and Melody and Dreams. Their episode from December 29th, 1952. International Incident Number 5. Jack Packard and Reggie York. Report to London at once for assignment in diamonds for the Dutch government. Signed the 21 old men of 10 Gramercy Park. I Love Adventure. The American Broadcasting Company presents a new Carlton E. Morse production featuring the international escapades of Jack, Doc, and Reggie. Tonight's incident brings you the $100 million manhunt. All right, Cappy. Ten Grimacy Park and step on it. Keep the change. Come on, Reggie. Ah, back again, Mr. Packard and Mr. York. Good morning. Back again, and a nice day, fellas. It is indeed, sir. Won't you go right into the great reception hall? Are the old boys waiting for us? I believe they are, Mr. York. Right inside, please. Right home. Jove, I never get over how that great door opens so loudly from the outside and closes without a sound from the inside. The draperies have already been pulled from before the great mirror. Which means we're about to go into session. Come on, let's move down into the room a little. Gentlemen, welcome back to London. Uh-oh. You're both looking fit after your most successful engagement in returning the pearl of great price to a Burmese temple last week. She didn't give us too much trouble. I hope you'll have the same to report after today's assignment. But first, one word about your old ally, Doc Long. I say, you have words of him? A rumor has come into our possession that Doc Long is somewhere along the outer Mongolian border. Then the red-headed Texan's still alive. There seems to be that possibility. We will continue to follow up our lead. Now then, a matter of great concern to the Dutch nation has suddenly come to a head. I will let Munir van Huygens, our Holland representative, give you your orders. This assignment involves the rape of my government's treasury of a hundred million dollars worth of diamonds and the circumvention of a group of unprincipled men who now possess them. Where do we start? First, the history of these gems. When the Germans swept into the Low Countries in 1940, the cities of Antwerp and Amsterdam were the diamond-cutting centers of the world. The bulk of the government's wealth in cut and uncut diamonds were in the vaults of those cities. Ah, quite. Not the loot. Exactly. They were taken to Berlin. After the defeat of Germany, they disappeared. One hundred million dollars in diamonds gone. You have a trace of them now? Perhaps. At least we have a clue. To intercept and recover them is your assignment. Thank you, Dr. Van Huygen. Gentlemen, you have one hour in which to board the American transatlantic stratoliner for Paramaribo, Dutch Vienna. You will pose as James Perry and Albert Young, businessmen looking for mahogany. At the Amsterdam Hotel in Paramaribo, you will be awaited by a trustworthy agent. 
Further instructions will come from him. So, that's Ghana of all places. That's all? That is all, except this. Yours is a most dangerous and urgent mission. Hotel. You said, senor? That's right, driver. Is this it? Si, senor. I will bring in your luggage. You better nip in fast, Jack. Do you suppose this is a sample of the climate? There you go. Ah, made it, by Joe. You know, if somebody would break a bottle of champagne off my head, I'd be launched. Oh, sir. This isn't half bad. After that trip from the docks, music in the lounge and all that. Senores? Uh, Perry's my name. Uh, this is Mr. Young. Oh, see, si. We received your wireless. Will you register, please? Your bag, senores. Very small. A little wet. Mm, positively soggy. Here. Keep change. Gracias, senor. Here, Pedro. Take those bags and show the gentleman to numero 21. 21? You say that is a familiar ring. 21 old Hey, Reggie. Quiet. Mm. Something wrong? Senor Barin selected the room. He's expecting you. Senor Barin? Yeah, of course. Uh, will you let Senor Barin know we've arrived? But that is not necessary, senores. His room adjoins yours. He's uh, waiting for you. I see. All right, uh, bring the bags, Pedro. Come on, Reggie. Senor Barin occupies the adjoining suite. He's either deaf or else he's stepped out. Queer. If friend Barin is our contact man from the 21 old man, he'd be on the job. I say, does it rain all the time in Dutch Guiana? Not quite, but plenty. Oh, look here, Jack. This French window opens on a covered veranda. So what? Well, if all the rooms on this side open out onto the balcony, we might do a bit of prowling. That makes sense. Barin doesn't come to us. Let's go to him, huh? Oh, how the heavens do open up. Ah, here it is. Same type of French window as our room. Ah, and it's unlocked. Let's go in. Close the door. Hey, Reggie. Hmm? Reggie, come here. What now? Oh, look here. Dead. Very dead. Knife when his back was turned. Do you suppose this is Barang? Who else? Now, who gives us our instructions? Hey, don't take out your gun, but back me up. Let her. Oh, oh, I had made a mistake. I say, a little French dame. No mistake if you were looking for Mr. Barin's room. Oh, no, you don't. Monsieur, let, let me go. If you're a friend of Barin's, we want to talk to you. Come inside. Let me go, please, monsieur. It's skittish, isn't it? Take it easy. If you're a friend of Barin's, we want some information. You are hurting my wrist. Please, monsieur. Take a look on the floor over there. Monsieur, he's out. He's dead. Oh, then already I'm too late. You came to warn him? You know who knifed him in the back? Oh, no, no, monsieur. How do I know you are friends of his, monsieur? We came here to meet him. Was the man he was expecting? The man from London? Yes, tell me. Are you... Oh, thank you, bon Dieu. You are here, monsieur. Then tell us what's going on here. No, no, not here. I must go. I should be me. Not so fast. Go where? Who, monsieur? Please, monsieur, I must hurry. Come at nine o'clock tonight to the Leiden Cafe. Nine o'clock for certain. Now, just a minute. Uh, Ow! Stop her, Reggie. Oh, sorry, Jack. She was too quick for me. What happened? She sank her fangs into my hand. I say, Jack, do you think there is such a place as the Leiden Cafe? And why nine o'clock? <laughs> ah, what a business. Rain down our necks, police in our hair, and our contact man dead of knife poisoning. Dutch police were very decent, well, but not very helpful. Let's see, Jack, we're way out of town. The Leiden must be a Dutch Guiana version of an American roadhouse. Police said it was out of town on the edge of some river. We've been following a river for some time. We're completely out of touch with civilization. Why, say, there are lights on the left. Yeah, we're turning in. Just right. Still a couple of minutes of nine. This is the place, senores. The Leiden. Here you are, driver. Gracias, senor. Come on, Reggie. Let's get in out of this rain. So, 
colorful, eh? There's an empty booth over there. Come on. Jack, did you ever see such a conglomeration of races? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Even an Indian. What's funny about that? They own this country once. No, no, I mean an East Indian, a Hindu. I cast, too. Over there with the turban. Oh, yeah. Oh, the handsome Johnny, too. Nothing handsome about the rest of them. Jack, I think we've been had. Yeah, doesn't look too good. Oh, here comes a waiter. Looks more like a foot pad. What'll it be, mates? Gin and tonic for me. Just bring me tonic water. This ain't no tourist dump, mates. Or maybe you're waiting for somebody. Oh, no. Why? Nothing. Nothing at all, mates. Be right with you. Listen, Reggie. Either this is a trap or something's gone wrong. There's certainly no sign of our French girl. If it comes to a row, we'll shoot out those hanging lamps. We'll have a chance in the dark. Uh-oh. Half a dozen of the boys have moved in between us and the door. There's another door. There's the other end of the bar. Now, say, Jack, we can get behind the bar at this end if we have to. Let the boys slug it out among themselves in the dark. But don't get separated. No fear. Now, here come the drinks. Here you are, mates. Thanks. Here you are. Keep your money. This here's on the house. What do you mean, on the house? It means you're our blinking guest. Till the boss gets here. That's what I mean. Oh, I see. What do you think of that, Reggie? Here's what I think of it. That takes care of the light there. Hey, Reggie. Reggie, are you with me? Right behind you, old man. Keep going. Duck down. Here we go, behind the bar. Hey, what the place? In a minute, Jack. All right, Reggie. That was the bartender. Ha, <laughs> ha. Listen to those blighters slugging each other out there in the dark. Here's the door. <laughs> My word, but a sock out here. And a good thing, too, or they'd have seen that door open. Oh, see, this must lead to the second floor. Quick, Reggie. Up those stairs, quick. We're right. Easy on the steps. Where now, old boy? It's like running about inside a coal bin. Anywhere except into that lighted room at the end of the hall. Here. Let's try this one. Close the door softly, Reggie. Though I'd like to get my hands on that little French girlfriend we were to meet here. She certainly led us into a trap. The window shades seem to be drawn. Maybe we could use a little light, huh? See where we are. Uh, here's the light switch. Good. Yeah, that's better. Hey, Reggie. Look here. What a job. The French girl. Trussed up and gagged. Untie her, Reg, while I take off the gag. There. Mon Dieu, this is a miracle. You are alive. Uh, uh, here, let me help you. Oh, Misty. Maybe I owe you an apology after all, mademoiselle. Madame, monsieur. Madame Barin. Barin? He was your husband? Oui. I have worked with him from the beginning. Some of the enemy found out and... The enemy? There is a group of international gangsters. They killed my husband. Now they tie me up. No wonder you didn't keep your appointment. And do you know what we came here to find out from your husband? Oui, monsieur. But of course. Do you know your way around this rabbit warren, a place where we can hide out or at least get away safely? Oui, monsieur. But we must hurry. What you seek is here, in this place. And if we fail, it will be gone forever. I hear water. Is that the river? Oui, monsieur. I have brought you underground to the boathouse. The river is behind the cafe. There's a boat landing outside. A perfect hideout. Well, I say, it stopped raining for a change. Okay, now bring us up to date quickly, madame. Please. Not madame. I am Emily to all who are my friends. <laughs> well, that's us. Friends of all beautiful women. Hey, cut it out, Reggie. Emily, what's the story? You saw the Hindu in the cafe? Yeah, we saw him. They call him your highness. I think that man killed my husband. What makes you think so? Always my husband used to say to me wherever we were. In Berlin, in Marseille, in Tunis, Tangier, Algiers. Everywhere, he said. Emily, ma chérie, someday India will come to us, or we will go to India. When that happens, it will be the end of the trail. That's it. Reggie, now it's beginning to make sense. What is India diamonds? There's only one place in the world where a hundred million dollars in diamonds could be sold and disappear forever, and Baran knew it. By Jove. India. Those blighters hoard golden gems. Oui, monsieur. I heard my husband say so. Well, then you think our Hindu Johnny's the buyer? Either that or he's an agent. And that is why I know he killed my husband. No, it wasn't any Hindu who killed Baran. But my husband, he said... The knife that killed your husband wasn't an Indian knife. More than that, it was wielded by a small person. Someone who didn't know much about the trick of killing with a knife. How would you know? Listen. Hey, the boat. Sounds like it's coming up to the boathouse. Watch it. 
I will look after you with these. Be careful. Carl, Richie. Hey, what are you doing? They are friends, monsieur. Come. Be careful of his steps down to the boat landing. Oh. Hey, looks like we're in luck. We could use a little help. Carl, I burn no more than me. Emily, who are these men? They are the men we expected, Carl. And be careful. Oh. So, surround these men. Here, what's going on? Another trap. Keep your hands where they are. Luigi, take their weapons. Ali, Hans, shoot if they move. We taking this deck? How about that? Tricked by the same girl twice. Tie them securely. They are dangerous men. Already the other gang has arrived. They bound and get me and try to kill these two, but they escape and save me. Take no chance with these men. A Portuguese gang has come to the Leiden Cafe? Mm, they are inside now. They have a trap set for you. They were holding me as hostage. These men got me out. And so you thank us by making us prisoners. Right. Emily, they did not make you talk about that cache of diamonds. God. These men have ears. They will not be able to use them for long. Hans, Ali. Yeah. Load these men into the boat. You're quite a girl, Emily. You are nothing to me. Quiet. Load these men into the boat. Take them up the river. Feed them to the piranhas. Yeah, food for the fish. Reggie. Yes, Jack? You're lying on my feet. Oh, sorry, old boy. It's so dark I can't tell where I'm lying. Still tied up tight as ever. Yeah. Can't move a muzzle. Between the ropes and the bilge water in the bottom of this tub. I'm doing rather badly. Can you feel my right foot when I move it? Yeah, right in the small of my back. See if you can reach it with your fingers. There's a safety razor blade slipped in between the sole. Well, they're off for old razor blades. Why don't I think of things like that? Never mind that. Do you feel it? Just a moment. Up there. You got it? I uh, have indeed. Roll over here, back to back. Maybe you can cut my wrists free. Right up. Hey, hold it. Uh, quiet down there. Keep sawing, but keep it quiet. It's going to take a minute. Hey, Jack, what's this piranha business? Huh? What about him? Well, that Chef Carl. He said throw us to the piranhas. Oh, devilish little fish about the size of sardines. Millions of them in these South American rivers. Most voracious animal alive. Anything falls in the river and the piranhas swarm like flies. Seen an animal or a man to the bone in 60 seconds. Mm, happy little critters, aren't they? Hey, how are you coming? They're slowing down. Any luck? Just around the next bend in the river, hon. That'll be far enough. Uh, try now, old boy. A little more, Reggie. How's that? I got it. Give me the razor blade. Now these ropes on my ankles. Now for you. This is good enough. Throw with the anchor. Uh, that's it. Now my legs. Now, come on, you blighters. Why still lay you down in the cockpit, Reggie? Lay possum. Go on, Hans. All board with them. Yeah, time to feed the fish. Now, Reggie. With pleasure. Ah! Now, that's one of them. And here's number two. Check that. That second man didn't try out. Yeah, he couldn't. He was knocked cold. Tried to catch him, but he went over the side. Listen to those fish piping. I'm glad it's dark. It wouldn't be a pretty sight. Oh, say, Jack, come on, let's get out of here. This place gives me the willies. I'll get the motor and head back downstream. Hey, Reggie, there's something that sticks in my mind. I know. Those ruddy fish? No, no. The way that French girl Emily looked at that fellow Carl. A new widow just doesn't have that sort of look in her eyes. True. Sure. You mean she really isn't Baron's widow? I don't know. But I do know this. She'd double-cross her own mother if it was profitable. Well, here we are back at our jolly old hotel. Looks better in the sunshine. What now? Well, we start all over again. This is where we came in. Hello, new girl at the room clerk's desk. Mm, pretty, too. I'll take care of that department. You relax. Well, listen to the man. Si, senores. Ah, what may I do for you, please? That comes later. May we have the key to our room? You are registered here? Perry's my name. This is Mr. Young. Ah, see, si. We were expecting you. But you will have to register, please. We've already registered. Early last night, room 21. Oh, I will see. Uh, there is... No record, senores. But that's queer. Perry and Young, room 21. Perry, Young, 
Hello, who are you? Name is Malcolm. Where are you to been all night? Mom, but I've been fair worried about you. Come upstairs. Now, just a minute. This is another trap we... Now, you're right to be suspicious, but perhaps these credentials will satisfy you. I don't know. I should think so. All right, we'll go up with you, Mr. Malcolm. Come in, gentlemen. Well, say, Jack, that's our luggage. Aye, I had it brought in here. Hoping against hope you'd be back. You had a bad bet most of the time. Look here, Malcolm. If you're the man the 21 old men sent us down here to contact, why was Baran waiting for us? Well, apparently the Barans intercepted the 21 old men's wireless and arranged to dispose of you under my nose. The Baran? Then the French girl was his wife. Emily, aye, she's Baran's widow. Either she or Barai himself must have intercepted the radiogram today. Jove, I remember now. That girl clerk at the desk last night. What about her? Well, not the same one who's on duty now. She wore dark glasses, had a funny hairdo, kept her head down. That must have been Emily, faking Spanish. I thought she looked familiar, but I couldn't place her. It was Emily. That's why we were never registered. Ah, that explains it. Emily pretended to check you in and then destroyed the registration card. You were just meant to vanish. What kind of hotel management is that? This is South America, Mr. Packard. Everything is pretty sketchy. Anyway, by the time I learned you were here, you had gone out to the Leiden Roadhouse. Hopped into a jeep and went out there. The place was our shambles. <laughs> they did it with their own little hot hand. And you had disappeared. My orders were strictly against calling in the police. All I could do was wait. But Baran, who killed them? And who are the Barans? I can only answer one of those questions. The Barans owned the Leiden. They built it three years ago. No wonder Emily knew the secret passage. The Leiden holds many secrets. Among them, the hiding place of the stolen treasure. But you don't know who killed Brian. That is still a mystery. I could make a good guess with you. But who are Carl and Luigi? Those names have any significance to you? Why do you ask that? They arrived at the roadhouse by boat with a dozen plug uglies. They tried to liquidate us. That completes the picture. Carl and Luigi are the other members of the original Baran gang. They are the men who smuggled a hundred million dollar loot out of Berlin. And there must be two sets of international crooks. That's what Emily meant about a second gang having arrived. Hello, as the Portuguese gang arrived in the city. Yeah, they tied up Emily at the roadhouse and laid a trap for Carl and the rest of the Bram boys. You know, there seem to be international hoodlums under every rock these days. What about the Hindu, Malcolm? Emily called him his highness. Ah, I trailed him and Barra here from Spain. I knew eventually they'd lead me to the diamonds. That was when I cabled 10 Gramercy Park for help. His Highness is able to buy a hundred million dollars worth of diamonds? Not only able, but eager. Probably willing to deal with whichever gang ends up with the stone. Huh? Hey, do you say you have a jeep, Malcolm? I have that. And come along, we wasted enough time. Where now, Jack? Back to the Leiden. <laughs> Back to the battlefront, men. Let's have Adam. Must be nearly there. Right around the next turn, just ahead. And run the jeep off the road into these woods. We'll sneak out. We'll have cover almost to the buildings. Come on. Must be just a few yards through the trees. I say, you chaps smell smoke? Well, now you mention it. Hey, look. Dead bodies. Two, three, four of them. Some of the Portuguese kind. Look here. Here's one of Baran's boys. I remember his face. What's that? Come on. It means we're in time. Here we are, near to the woods. Hold it, hold it. So, well, the two gangs must have had a private war. Look, the Leiden house has been burned. How about that? War to the death in the jungle. Gang battle and burned out. Nothing but the chimney and the concrete foundations. There are more signs of battle. Those men sprawled out there. Well, they're not taking a nap. But which side won? We'll soon know. Don't forget that dynamite blast we just heard. You mean they were blasting to the treasure? Here they come. Keep back out of sight. Uh-oh. There's our girl, Emily. And Carl wonder where Luigi is. Emily's directing her men to go into the ruins. The treasure's in there, Packard. It's lost forever. The place must have been an inferno. Don't you believe it. Emily knows what she's doing. Positively. And I'll bet money that that explosion we just heard blasted open the cement foundation. Of course. She and Barra must have concealed the treasure in the foundation when they built this place three years ago. Hey, look. Down on the river by the boathouse. Oh, say. A yacht. An ocean-going yacht. Right. The Lacana, Bombay. Train your field glasses on her, Malcolm. I will do. Can you make out anything? Aye. It's Man Balaskars, Hindus, East Indians. Uh-huh, our Indian potentate ship. Aye, he's on the bridge, watching through glasses. Hey, here comes Emily with Carl and their men from behind that cement wall. Well, they're carrying something. 
It looks like a footlocker. Good. Now, listen, you two. The Maharaja is quite willing and able to buy the treasure, but I don't believe you'll have any part of a fight. And the three of us can handle Emily and her gang. We haven't a prayer if the Indian and his men come ashore. That's a chance we'll have to take. Well, there they come with the second footlocker. All the jewels are in those two cases. I know that much. And it's time for us to move in. Malcolm, cover us with your rifle, will you? Hurry. All set, Reggie. Ready and willing. Let's go. Good work, Malcolm. Keep it up. Wait into him, Reggie. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, that does it. Two old commanders are still worth a ton of beef. Look out, Jack, behind you. Kill you. Let me go, I kill you. Emily, stop it, you little cat. Give me that knife. I can bite you. Now, give me that knife. Uh, is this the dirt you used to knife your husband in the back because you were in love with Carl? You lie. You want to bet on it? Luis is over there. He's shot in the back. Yeah, Emily and Carl are going to have it all to themselves. Too bad, honey. Boyfriend's gone bye-bye. Canaille, dog. Jack, the yacht. It's pulling out in a midstream. His highness doesn't want any part of this. Let him go. We got what we came for. You are giving me much pleasure this evening. Yeah, that's my line. So? Sure, always let the man be the first to say he's grateful. But you are so brave. So very much a man. How is a girl going to keep still when her heart sends the words to her lips? Look, are you sure you're only the desk clerk at the Amsterdam Hotel here in Paramaribo? You do not think so? You're much too pretty and much too facile with your pretty words. You could do better than being a receptionist. Oh, you will take me with you? Well, <laughs> For the man who has captured international gangsters and have saved $100 million worth of diamonds, you can do anything. Is that so now? See, you could take me to the Riviera and make me a very glamorous woman. Or you could take me to Hollywood and make me a beautiful movie actress. Now, just a minute, but I... But you say yourself that I should not hide away down here in Paramaribo. But I'm a man about the world, not a Hollywood agent. Ah, oh, senor. You do this one little thing Oh, for me. hello, Jack, old boy. Oh, Reggie, where'd you pop from? Here, sit down. No, send him away. I say, is that polite? Here, sit down. Well, matter of fact, can't do it. Here, read this cablegram. What's the matter now? Please, you will take me with you. Uh-oh. Jack Packard and Reggie York. You are requested to return to London immediately for special assignment in connection with the kidnapping of a girl's finishing school. What? Somebody's run off with a girl's finishing school. How do you like that? Signed, the 21 old men of 10 Gramercy Park. Please, I am much more interesting than a silly schoolgirl. Yeah, I'll bet you are, sweetheart, but get your hat, Jack. The Transatlantic Air Express is holding seats for us. For me, too? Afraid not. How in blazes do you kidnap a girl's finishing school? <laughs> Look, are you going to let these, these Englishmen come between us? Goodbye, honey. Next time I'm in Paramaribo, remind me to find out your name. So, senor, you are a wolf. <laughs> a wicked American wolf, and I spit upon you. <laughs> come on, wolf. The 21 old graybeards are calling. You have just heard I Love Adventure, a new Carlton E. Morse production featuring Michael Rapetto as Jack Packard and Tom Collins as Reggie York. Next week brings international incident number six entitled The Girls Finishing School Kidnapping, an affair ranging from the Adriatic to the mountain fastness of Tibet. This evening, the spokesman was played by Everett Glass, Van Huygens by Louis Van Ruten, Emily by Lillian Bias. Don Morrison played the Mexican. Lal Chan Mera was Ollie. Dan O'Hurley was the Cockney waiter. Alma Lawton was the Spanish room clerk. And Russell Thorson played Carl. The $100 million manhunt was written by Carlton E. Morse with John Paul Schofield. Organ music and effects by Rex Corey. Your announcer, Dresser Dahlstead.
Now, a listening reminder. The clock ticks off 30 minutes of mystery and suspense as it brings you next another unforgettable story. Stay tuned for The Clock, which follows over this ABC station. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Autolite and its 98,000 dealers bring you Mr. John Lund in tonight's presentation of Suspense. Tonight, Autolite presents a story from your morning newspaper, the dramatic expose of narcotics peddling among teenagers, as reported in Melody in Dreams. Our star, Mr. John Lund. Nineteen fifty-two is a pretty good year. Pretty good? Why, Hap, they just don't come any better than complete electrical systems designed and built by Autolite for manufacturers of many leading makes of our finest cars, trucks, and tractors. All units, including the generator, starting motor, distributor, and coil, spark plugs, and batteries, are engineered to give the finest performance money can buy. My car's Autolite equipped, Carlo. Millions are, Hap. Because Autolite electrical systems have been used as original equipment ever since 1911, when Autolite developed the first six-volt, two-unit electrical system for the industry. That means Autolite electrical systems have been starting, lighting, and providing electrical energy for car owners for 41 years. That is a record, Harlow. Yes, so friends insist on Autolite original service parts for your Autolite-equipped car, because only Autolite original service parts are related by Autolite engineering design to fit and work as a team with your car's electrical system. You'll find it pays because from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite presents transcribed Melody in Dreams, starring Mr. John Lund, a dramatic report based on fact, hoping once again to keep you in suspense. Lieutenant. Where's Shank? Uh, he's in the other office on the telephone. Thanks. All right, Mr. Graff. Yes, sir. I have the address. We'll try to get out there as soon as we can. Keep the girl there. Yes, sir. Oh, hi, Chris. How was it, Lou? Might be the lead. Huh. Fat chance. There's a guy named Graff, Walter Graff. He lives out on South Tyburn. He found a cache of marijuana cigarettes hidden in an old coffee can in his daughter's bedroom. How old is the girl? All of 16. She nearly went hysterical when the old man confronted her with a can with a cigarette. Yeah, they all do. This kid's thrown convulsion. Huh. Old man must be a funny character. Can you imagine? Made a citizen's arrest of his own daughter. For almost six months, the narcotics division had been trying to find the leak. The hole through which an estimated $70,000 worth of drugs was being passed to high school kids monthly in the forms of marijuana, opium, and heroin. Regular stakeouts, raids, and arrests had been made. The number of teenage addicts arrested was a staggering, frightening total. Arrests made yielded the addicts, but they didn't yield the source of supply. In the meantime, public sentiment and high official pressure, abetted by the newspaper headlines, was growing, while police department investigation was groping. Each and every possible lead obtained had to be followed up. In the case of Walter Graff, who'd made a citizen's arrest of his 16-year-old daughter after discovering marijuana cigarettes hidden in a coffee can in her bedroom, another lead was about to be followed up. This is the address, Chris. Yeah. Nice old house. Ring the bell. Sure. Well, they don't build them like this anymore. Maybe they don't take the time. <laughs> Agnes goes for this kind of architect. Yes? Police. Mr. Graff? Oh, uh, yes, yes. Come in. I'm Mr. Graff. Thanks. Uh, here. Uh, let's go into the living room. <clears throat> Please be seated. You'll have to excuse the appearance of the house, gentlemen. Ever since Mrs. Graff passed away, I... Haven't taken much interest in such things as cleanliness. 
I know it's wrong. We but... understand. I presume you're here in response to my telephone call? Yes, sir. I'm Lieutenant Royals. This is Detective Sergeant Shank. Narcotics detail. Yes. Yes. I'm quite upset, as you can see. Uh, the shock. Uh... You're only one parent among many, Mr. Graff. Oh, I know, I know. I read the newspapers, too. They're full of it. Every day you read about the horrible... When did you discover the coffee can with the cigarettes, Mr. Graff? This morning. Early this morning. You see, I, I didn't go to work today. I wasn't feeling very good, so I stayed home. It's the first time I've ever been absent. Why did you wait until this evening to report the discovery? Why did I wait until this evening? Yeah. Well, because I couldn't believe it. I simply couldn't believe it. Don't you understand? Joan is my child. How is a father supposed to believe such a terrible thing of his child? We understand. I had to give Joni a chance to deny it, Lieutenant. I had to give her a chance to yell to her papa that she knew nothing about the coffee can and its sinful contents. Did she deny knowing about the can? Deny it? She didn't even try to defend herself. She admitted the guilt. But what hurt most of all was her... her arrogance. What are you going to do about it, she said to me. I did the only... Thing I thought was right to do, I called the police. I'm sorry, Mr. Graff. Oh, don't be sorry, Lieutenant Royals. It's, it's a very funny story, and the neighbors will thoroughly enjoy it. Ring around the rosy, old man Graff arrested his daughter. She's a dope fiend, pocket full of posies. What made you suspect the cigarettes contained marijuana, Mr. Graff? Suspect? How do I know? Well, lots of things. Jones' moods, strange moods. Moods which I can't describe to you because I don't know how. Her friends. Friends? One in particular. Uh, Mickey Malone. No good. No good, Lieutenant. I see. Now, where is the can with the cigarettes, Mr. Graff? One moment. Here, Lieutenant Boyle. Here. The poison. Take it, burn it, destroy it. The time was 7.30 when Joan Graff was booked in at police headquarters on a charge of illegal possession of narcotics. The file sheet also listed the name of the arresting citizen, Walter Graff, the girl's own father. Joan was a plain-featured girl, bleached blonde hair, fair skin, narrow hazel eyes, and a slim, slight frame. After Detective Sergeant Shank had finished typing the police report, we took the girl back to interrogation for further questioning. Go ahead, Joan. Sit down. Thank you. Tell me, Joan, how old are you? Sixteen. Do you know why you're here? Yes. My father arrested me. That's why I'm here. You've broken a law, Joan. A very serious law. Does everyone get a sermon? This is no sermon. You've been charged with illegal possession of narcotics. That's a very serious charge. I know. I also know I'm a minor. Yes, you are. In which case, you'll be turned over to the juvenile authorities. What'll they do to me? They can do a lot. They have the authority to take you out of school, away from your friends, give you the treatment you need. They can also send you to a detention home if necessary. What kind of meals do they serve? Well, they don't serve cigarettes like these in detention homes. Where'd you get them? Nowhere. They didn't just happen out of thin air. Where'd you get them? I don't know where I got them. Look, Joan, you've broken a law. You've done something very wrong. But it's not entirely your fault. You're not the real enemy. The real enemy is the person who sold you these cigarettes. And that's the enemy we want. Who was it? Please, I, I... I don't remember where I got them. I... Are you trying to shield somebody, Joan? Is that it? No, it's nobody. I don't know. All right, Joan. All right. You don't have to tell us. I'm not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. That'd be wrong. But there's something I want to explain to you. And I want you to try to understand it. It's about your father and what he did. My father. When he arrested you, he did the only thing he thought was right. I'm his daughter. His own flesh and blood. Yes, his own flesh and blood. That's right. Right. 
And don't you realize what it must have done to him inside? I don't want to talk about him. Please. I've got two children of my own, Joan. Two small boys. Please. If they were older and either one of them had done something like this, I swear to you I'd do the same thing that your father did. Okay, Lou. That's all for now. Let's go. Lieutenant. Yes? Lieutenant, I'll tell you. I'll tell you where I got the cigarettes. All right, tell me. From Nicky. Nicky Malone. My boyfriend from high school. Do you know where Nicky gets them? There's a coffee shop somewhere near our school. That's how Nicky gets the cigarettes, I think. Haven't you ever been to this coffee shop with Nicky? No. I don't even know where it is. I see. Will I uh, put out a call on the Malone kid? No, I don't think that's necessary. We'll go out to the house and talk to him. Lieutenant. Yes, Joan? I understand. Understand what? My father. His hurt inside. I have that same hurt. Joan Graff volunteered the address of her high school boyfriend, Nicky Malone. Detective Sergeant Shank made arrangements for the girl to be turned over to the juvenile authorities pending further investigation. And then we went out to question Nicky Malone. The address the girl had given us turned out to be located in a rundown section of the city. 763 was a white single-frame house badly in need of repairs. The shades were drawn, but a dim light inside indicated someone was at home. Want to knock? Sure. Yes? Does uh, Nicky Malone live here? Who wants to know? Police officers. I'm Lieutenant Royals. Sergeant Shank. Oh? What's the boy done? We'd like to ask him some questions. He at home? Yeah, yeah, yes. He's uh, getting ready to go out. Come in, officers. What is it you wanted Nicholas for? We'd like to talk to him. I'm sure. How about a drink? No, thanks. You? Uh, no. Mind? You any relation to the boy? Relation? Sure. I'm his Uncle Fred. Uh, Nicky. Nicky. Yeah? What do you want? What's the matter? These are policemen, Nicky. They want to talk to you. Right? That's right. Policemen? What do you want to talk to me about? It's about your sideline at high school. Beats me. What kind of a sideline are you guys talking about? Narcotics. You guys must be crazy. You know what we're talking about. I do. Nicholas, maybe Listen you... Listen to these guys, Unc. Shake them down, Lou. Hey, what is this? Routine, Nicky. Come on, empty your pockets. What? I said empty your pockets. Oh, for the... Come luck. on, come on. There. That's what I got in my pockets. A jackknife, a handkerchief, some change, and a billfold. Go on, bite the quarter. Maybe you'll get a kick. You're pretty funny, son. Where's your room? You saw me come out the door. Want to take a look, Lou? Yeah. Don't you think you'd uh, better tell me what this is all about, Lieutenant? I am the boy's guardian. We suspect your nephew of passing out marijuana cigarettes to students at his high school. Marijuana cigarettes? <laughs> there must be some mistake, Lieutenant, not Nicholas. Of course not me. That isn't what your girlfriend Joan told us. I get it now. That kid gets caught with a weed and she tries to pass the buck to me. Why, if I ever get my hands on All her... All right, I'll... Nicholas, that's enough. Anything, Lou? Cleans the whistle. Okay, Nicky, where is it? Where's what? The cigarettes. Look, I told you once, I'll tell you again. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have no marijuana cigarettes. You found me clean, didn't you? Make me some trouble. That isn't what your girlfriend, Joan Graff, told us. I don't care what she told you. You got no evidence to arrest me. All right, Nicky. That's all for now. Come on, Lou. And we were right back where we started. Up against another frightened high school student who refused to divulge the source of his supply of narcotics. We didn't have any physical evidence on Nicky Malone, but we did believe that the young girl had been telling the truth. 
and therefore decided to place him under surveillance. He was our closest link to the source of the narcotic supply. For four days, we followed his every move. At 8.30 every morning, he left the house, walked six blocks to his high school, left school at 3.20 and walked two blocks to a coffee shop where he had a chocolate milkshake, and then returned home. He didn't leave the house at any time during the evenings. On the fifth day, the boy went to the coffee shop, had his regular milkshake, and then played the jukebox. Once again, when he left the coffee shop, we followed him. He's heading in the opposite direction, Chris. Yeah. This may be it, Lou. He may be going to pick up some stuff. He's turning the corner onto Madison. Here we go, Lou. Hold your breath. Yeah. Pretty bright kid, huh, Chris? Yeah. If we're right about him, we've got nothing but trouble. He's disappeared. Autolite is bringing you Mr. John Lund in Melody in Dreams. Tonight's presentation in radio's outstanding theater of thrills... Suspense. Any New Year's resolutions, Harlow? Ah, two mighty important ones to help car owners everywhere, Hap. Oh, how, Harlow? Why, by reminding them that their car's electrical system works like a beaver every second their engine runs, and it provides energy for starting, sounding a horn... Lights, heater, radio, electric, windshield wiper, and cigarette lighter. Autolite makes complete electrical systems used as original equipment on many leading makes of our finest cars, trucks, and tractors. Right you are, Hap. And that's why my second resolution is to tell car owners to treat the important electrical system of their car to a periodic checkup for top performance at all times. Good advice, Harlo. Right. So, friends, have your car's electrical system checked by experts. Your nearest authorized Autolite service station has specialized equipment to service all makes of cars. You can quickly locate him in the classified section of your phone book under Automobile Electrical Service. Or call Western Union by number and ask for Operator 25. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. John Lund in Elliot Lewis's production of Melody in Dreams. A dramatic report well calculated to keep you in suspense. Right out from under our noses. How's it possible? Like I said, Chris, bright boy. Must have known he was being followed. Of course he did. Lots of nerve. The law on his tail and he still does business. Yeah. Well, he's got to go home sometime. That's right, Lou. He's got to go home sometime. And that's where he's going to find us. We got back in the police car and drove over to the Malone house. Parked across the street and waited. It was beginning to get dark. The shades were still drawn. I wondered if anybody ever bothered to raise them. Time passes slowly when you're waiting. Cigarette, Chris? No, my mouth feels like an oven now. Somebody's home. Probably his polite uncle. Funny guy. Wonder what he does for a living. Oh, I saw a lot of music sheets laying around. Probably in the business. Hey. What? Thought I saw something moving in the driveway. Shadow. Might be the kid. Let's go. It is somebody. Get your flash ready. Okay, hold it. Hey. All right, kid, stand still. Don't move. What is this, cops again? Yeah, Nicky, cops again. I thought I shook you guys once. Why did you shake us, Nicky? Because... Because I don't like being followed. That's your story, son. Where have you been? I haven't been anywhere. Where did you go after you lost us? I went for a walk in the park. What did you do, pick up the stuff? What stuff? All right, Lou, I'll hold the light, shake him. No, what is this, a habit? I got some rights. Come on, Leave along. come Get on, easy, son, easy. Hey. What's this, Nicky, in your coat pocket? Nothing. It ain't nothing. Give me that. Open it up, Lou. Chris? That's an awful lot of nothing, Nicky. 
six packs of marijuana cigarettes. We booked the boy down at police headquarters on a charge of illegal possession of narcotics. And then we interrogated him. Although he realized the seriousness of the charges, he still refused to tell us where he'd obtained the cigarettes. His guardian uncle was notified and came down to see the boy. He seemed quite concerned. We listened in on their conversation. The uncle pleaded with the boy to tell us all he knew about the narcotics. But uncle's pleas went unheard. A few days later, I decided to bring Nicky Malone and Joan Graff together, face to face. I didn't know what I hoped to learn. Maybe nothing. Maybe something in a moment of temper. On the morning of December 21st, the young boy and girl were brought to my office. Sit right over there, Nicky. Thanks. Well? Wouldn't you like to say hello to Joan? Hello, Nicky. Know any more good stories, policeman? Nicky, I'm so scared. Scared of what? This whole thing. It's so terrible. She's right, Nicky. Something like this can ruin your whole life. Don't you realize that? Well, stop with a sermon, will you? Your uncle seems like a pretty nice guy, Nicky. How did you turn out to be such a bad apple? Is that part of your job, policeman? Telling people what they are? No. No, it's not, Nicky. I'm sorry I said that. Because, basically, I think you're a good boy. I think you're intelligent enough to know what's right and what's wrong. And you know this is wrong. I don't have to reason with you. The thing that really puzzles me is why an intelligent young boy like you refuses to right this wrong. You made a mistake. We all make mistakes. Mistakes are forgivable, Nicky. Nicky, the lieutenant is right. Ah, what do you know anyway, loudmouth? Couldn't keep your mouth shut, could you? You had to tell him. I hurt my father, Nicky. I hurt him very much. I had to tell the police all I knew. Big blabbermouth. Well, find yourself another boyfriend, sister. Nicky. See if he'll get you a stick. Yeah. Uh. Another stick, Nicky? I mean... Yeah, I know what you mean. Another stick of this. Oh, why can't you leave me alone? Give me a trial. Send me up. I don't care what you do. Trial? Jail? No, son. They're not the answer. Not really. I'm trying to make you understand that you've got a long life ahead of you. It'll be a shame to ruin it now. Our last chance, then. Stake out the coffee shop. For four days, Detective Shank and myself kept it under surveillance. The evening of December 29th, I walked into the coffee shop to relieve Detective Shank. It was ten minutes to seven. Lou? Hi, Chris. Don't look so sour. Go home and get some sleep. You gonna sit it out? Yeah, a couple hours, maybe. I'll sit around with you for a while. How about a cup of coffee? Yeah, I'm up to here, no thanks. Anything? No, nothing. Just stares from the guy who owns this place. He keeps leering. You want me to stick around and go play a record on the jukebox? Here, here's a dime. The jukebox? Yeah, play something. Let's make it festive around here. The afternoon Nicky got away from us, he broke his pattern. He did something different. Something he'd never done before. He played the jukebox. That's right. He played the jukebox. Billy May, wish you were here... Broken. Oh. Thanks. Now I'll stay with you for a while. Might even have a cup of coffee. I was right about Nicky's uncle being in the business. What? This is his record. He wrote the tune. He's playing it. Whoa. What do you know? The guy's a celebrity. So that's what he did. Lou... The night we picked up the Malone kid, we thought he was coming home with his stuff, right? Yeah. We couldn't see. It was too dark. But what if it was the other way around? What if the kid was leaving instead of just arriving? Yeah. Yeah. We've come in here for four days straight. 
That record wasn't on the machine. The day that the kid disappeared, he played the machine. Come on. Let's talk to the guy at the counter. You the owner, mister? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the owner. Police officers. Uh, police? Boy, hey, now, what... Don't get excited. Just want to ask you a few questions. Well, sure. Sure, officers. Anything. There's a new record on that machine by a Freddie Malone. Oh, yeah. Him. I know him. Nice guy. Nice guy? Yeah. Every week he comes in, slips me a ten. Slips you a ten? Yeah. Put his record on the machine. Says even if it does cost him dough, he wants to push it. It's a nice tune now. Melody and Dreams. Back at headquarters, we learned the whereabouts of Uncle Freddie Malone. He was playing piano in a small nightclub on Halstead. The place was crowded with people when we got there. In a corner off to the right was a platform. And on the platform at the piano sat Freddie Malone. Think there'll be any trouble, Chris? I doubt it, Lou. He's not the type. Hello, Mr. Malone. Hello, police officers. You have a request? Yeah. Melody and Dreams. One of my favorites. That's no surprise. It was wrong, huh? Real wrong. A lot of poor, innocent kids, Mr. Malone. Real wrong. Poor, innocent kids. We still don't know how the record figured in. That was how Nicky notified the other kids he was ready to pass the stuff. And the night we caught him? He was leaving the house. He was on his way out to make delivery. Poor kid. Try to protect me. Yeah. Someday I'll do something for him. Maybe. Shall we go? The manager won't like it if I don't stick around. It's going to be a big night. Can't stick around, huh? Not tonight, Mr. Malone. Let's go. Suspense. Presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. John Lund. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for Autolite, world's largest independent manufacturer of automotive electrical equipment. Autolite is proud to serve the greatest names in the industry. They are members of the Autolite family, as well as are the 98,000 Autolite distributors and dealers in the United States and thousands more in Canada and throughout the world. Our family also includes the nearly 30,000 men and women in 28 great Autolite plants from coast to coast and Autolite plants in many foreign countries, as well as the 18,000 people who have invested a portion of their savings in Autolite. Every Autolite product is backed by constant research and precision built to the highest standards of quality and performance. So remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. In the next two weeks, we will attempt to solve one of the most famous of all literary puzzles as we present Charles Dickens' unfinished novel, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. Our star, Mr. Herbert Marshall. And it begins next week on... Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Portions of the program were transcribed. Melody and Dreams was written for suspense by Richard George Pettuccini. In tonight's story, Ann Whitfield was heard as Joan and Sam Edwards as Nicky. Featured in the cast were Shep Mencken, Howard McNear, Joseph Kearns, and Junius Matthews. This is Harlow Wilcox again. When we meet next week, it will also be next year. And so, Autolite and all of us here on Suspense sincerely wish each of you a very happy 1953. Good night. This is the CBS Radio Network. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more from I Love Adventure, Suspense, 
and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at the website, relicradio.com. Our shoutcast stream is up and running there, too, for even more old-time radio. And as always, if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, you can donate through the website as well. Your support is how all of this happens. That's how we're advertising free and 14 years old. If you'd like to help out, donate.relicradio.com or click on the link on the website. And thank you, as always, to those who have. Thanks for joining me today. I'll be back tomorrow with Case Closed and next Tuesday with another hour of the Relic Radio Show.